Wow, God. Your faithfulness is ridiculous. It's amazing. You have always been and you always will be faithful. And God, remind us of that. Help us not to lose sight of that, that when maybe we've given up on ourselves, God, you have never given up on us. Why? Because you're faithful. And your faithfulness cost you greatly on that cross where you died in our place. God, today, may you remind us over and over again of how faithful our God is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat at all of our locations. Thanks for joining us this morning. Welcome to Northridge Church. And I want to highlight two groups of individuals before we get rocking and rolling. I want to start with our worship teams. Can we give it up for our worship teams? Come on. Man, that's a a group of really a lot of volunteers who sacrifice a lot of their time. Thursday nights, Saturday mornings, they're here bright and early to ultimately not put a show on for us, but to lead us to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I show up every weekend and they lead me and prepare me for God's word. And I'm so thankful for them. So if you're on our worship team, thank you so much for what you do. Another group I want to shout out is our kids ministry teams. Can you give it up for them as well? Come on. And I want to just make it clear, they're not babysitting your kids, they're pouring Jesus into your kids, and that's amazing. It's for my kids as well. Man, I'm amazed every weekend when I come home, I talk to my kids, they tell me what God is doing in their life, and it's because of people's sacrifice, our kids' volunteers who love our kids and allow us to worship freely. And so, man, I'm thankful for you. If you're a kids' ministry volunteer, you're making a difference in the next generation of the church, and don't downplay your impact. Thank you so much for it. Welcome to Northridge Church. We're honored to have you here this morning, no matter where you're joining us from, our online campus, our Webster campus, our Rochester campus. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to roll. You ready to roll today? I'm ready to rock and roll. And so, you know, many of you, you you might know this about me through my stories, but I love to dabble into construction. It's it's one of my hobbies. I like home renovation projects. And it it really started all the way back 10 years ago. Ashley and I, we lived in Georgia. And we had this guest bathroom, and it had this really white, stark tile with these yellow grout lines. It was nasty. It was disgusting, and it drove my wife crazy. The problem was is we didn't have enough money to, to pay someone to replace the tile, and so we didn't know what to do. And so uh, one day we, we got together with our, our southern parents, Rodney and Cindy. Shout out to them. They watch from Alabama every single week. And actually last week, they were here and got to experience Northridge Church for the very first time. They loved it. And so we were with them. We were eating dinner, and we were telling Rod and Sid about our, our dilemma with the tile. And Rod looks at me, and he's like, hey, Drew, why don't you just lay the tile? I was like, well, because I have no clue what I'm doing. That's why. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and so, you know, dinner was done. We grabbed our to-go to boxes, and we had, headed home. And Ashley and Cindy were in the kitchen talking, and Rod's like, hey, I want you to show me the bathroom. And so he, he took me back there, and he was like, wow, this is as bad as you said it was. This is nasty. And so he's like, hey, hold on a second. I'll, I'll be right back. I was like, where are you going? So it took him a minute or two, and he comes back, and in his hands, he's holding a sledgehammer. And he's like, Drew, I I want you to smash the tile. 
What do you want me to smash the tile? What am I going to do then? He's like, well, when you smash the tile, you'll be forced to lay the tile. And I, w- I would never recommend that advice for everybody, but he was like, come on, do it. And so I, I started sledging, sledgehammering the tile, breaking the tile. Ashley runs in and she's like, Drew, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm hitting the tile. This is amazing. This is awesome. Like, this is like therapy for me. You know, if you have a bad day, just smash some tile. You'll feel better. I promise. But she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know, Rod. He's like, you're going to lay the tile. And so I did what every, you know, good construction guy does. I YouTubed like 30,000 videos. And here's what I, I, I figured out is you can lay tile a lot of different ways. And so I figured out the plan. I felt ready. I'm like, okay, here we go. And so every night for a week, I, I just laid tile and I laid tile and I, I grouted tile. And at the end, I look back and I'm like, wow, that's terrible. I mean, we had square tiles, and they looked like diamond tiles, and like the grout lines didn't line up, and there was like holes in the grout. It was was bad. And Ashley's like, wow, Drew, you are not good at this. (laughs) And have you ever been there before where you, you, you felt ready to do something, but you weren't? Or maybe you wanted to try something for the very first time, and you put all your energy and your research, and you went for it, and you failed miserably? Well, I would suggest that happened to Moses, but we just don't often see it in his story. And we've been in a series, we started last week, where we're looking at maybe one of the most influential leaders in the nation of Israel. And in week one, we saw Moses was born into this really tumultuous time. He was really supposed to be dead, but God protected him and gave him an advantage as he was adopted into the family of Pharaoh. And what we learned in week one in Moses' life is God often doesn't choose the path that we would pick for our lives. And we have to learn to trust God has our best in mind, even if he takes a route we wouldn't choose. But now Moses is no longer a baby. He's actually grown up. He's around 40 years old. And we pick up a story in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so here Moses is, he's, he's grown up, and he ventures outside of the palace, and he, he notices his people being oppressed. They were slaves, and the Egyptians were hard on the Israelites. But notice what the text says. It says, Moses actually identified, not as an Egyptian, he'd been adopted into the Egyptian family, but he, he identified as a Hebrew. He, he felt and notice the pain of the oppression that was on his people. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little more insight into how Moses lived in in the palace of Pharaoh. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And so Moses, although he's adopted into a family of luxury, he actually pushed his privilege to the side to fight for people who are oppressed. That'll preach today, won't it? That's what Moses chose. He he didn't identify as an Egyptian, but, but he identified as a Hebrew, and he sees the pain, and he sees the hurting in, in his people, and, and it causes him to act on that pain. And we see it here. It says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. 
He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So Moses senses God is doing something in his heart. Through his life, he's always identified as a Hebrew, as an Israelite. In watching his people suffering, he's like, I've got to do something. And so he acts. He kills this Egyptian. And I would actually suggest right here, this is where we often miss it, but I would suggest that this is actually Moses' first attempt to deliver the nation out of, of Israel out of bondage. This was his first shot at, at doing something that he sensed God's calling in his life. And if you don't believe me, it's actually backed up through Stephen in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. Look what Stephen says about Moses. He says this, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptians. But look at verse 25. It says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. So here Moses senses God's doing something in his heart, and he acts on that, and it fails. I mean, Moses is like, okay, I'm ready to deliver the nation of Israel out of bondage. I'm going to kill this Egyptian, and all of the nation of Israel is going to follow me into freedom, and it doesn't work. Can you imagine how Moses must be feeling in this moment in his life? Yo, yo, God, I thought you were calling me to this. I thought this is what you wanted me to do, God. And, and you bail on me in the moment I take a step of faith for you? Was that actually you moving me, God? Was that actually you calling me to do that? I mean, I would bet probably we can relate to Moses a little bit because maybe we've been there. In a season of our life, we felt God was moving us to do something, calling us. And don't get tripped up on that word calling. I'm not talking about an audible voice from God saying go or do. I'm talking about living in obedience to God. I'm talking about just following his word where we sense God moving in our heart. And Moses senses that and he goes for it and it fails. And have you been there before where you felt God's calling on your life? You went for it, you, you did something and it failed? It tanked miserably? How did you feel? Like, like, God, what happened here, God? I'm just trying to follow you. I'm, I'm taking leaps of faith, and, and, and I'm, I'm losing. Maybe you questioned the calling God had on your life. And that's kind of where Moses is right now. And here's what, I, here's what I've, I've found to be true about many Christians' lives, including myself, is there is often a gap between God's calling and our readiness, there's often this ginormous gap in our lives where we sense the calling of God on our lives to do something great for God, but yet we, we don't choose to take the time to be ready for the actual calling God has placed on our lives. And that was exactly Moses. Here he is. He senses God is moving in his heart to do something, and he's not fully ready for God's calling, and so what does he do? He does what most of us do. When we feel God's calling on our life, we're not fully ready. We choose to act in our own strength, wisdom, and plan. We do things on our own. We, we act in our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own plan. And that's exactly what Moses does. He says, hey, God, guess what? I, I'm just going to go and I'm going to try to intervene on, on behalf of, of the nation of Israel. I'm going I'm to do it on my own. I've got a plan. I don't need you for this, God. I'll take care of it myself. And it fails. 
And maybe you're wondering why your plans are failing, and you feel like God's called you to something, and you, you keep failing and failing. It's maybe because God is not with you on that. Maybe because you're not ready for that, and you're acting in your own wisdom, in your own strength, and in your own plan, and it's not going well. Moses is like, what, what, what's going on, God? And so Moses has to, to flee to Midian because he has a problem. He tried to do something he felt like God was calling him to, and he's got a, a huge problem. The nation of Israel isn't following him, and now Pharaoh wants to kill him, and so he flees to Midian. And this wasn't just like the town nearby. This is a whole new country for Moses. And guess what happens as Moses leaves? He, he is, he's exiled out of, of Egypt. God is getting ready to close the gap for him to prepare him and to mold him. And we see it in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And it'd be easy to skip past this, this what feels like scene setting. But the truth is, is there's a lot behind here because for the next 40 years of, of Moses' life, God is going to mold and make him into the leader he needs to be. God's going to close that gap of Moses' readiness. And the way God chooses to do it in Moses' life is through being a shepherd. You want to talk about a really boring, monotonous, stale job? It's being a shepherd. I mean, you, what do you do every day? Well, you, you try to guide whiny sheep to go in a direction they don't want to go in. I mean, every once in a while, like, you know, every year you, you get to pick up your staff and maybe beat up a wolf or a bear that comes after your sheep. But for the most part, you're just staring at sheep eating grass. It's terrible, I bet you. It's awful. But yet that's the very thing God uses to shape Moses, to mold Moses, to help him be ready to become the leader he wants. I mean, you know what I know about my life and probably most of your lives is most of us aren't willing to tend sheep to become the deliverer God wants us to be. Most of us aren't willing to, to grind out and walk through the process because most of us, we want God to work through us, but we fail to realize that probably if God's going to work through us, he's first got to do a miracle in us. That he's got to refine us and mold us. And, and the reason why I know that is because that was me when I was young. That was me. At 16 years old, my life was kind of paved. My dad owned an insurance company, and, and I knew my whole life, when I grew up, I knew, hey, I was going to go off to college, get a degree, find a wife, come home, and step into a lucrative partnership with my dad and my family, running the family business, insurance. But at 16 years old, God changed the course of my life dramatically. Where he said, Drew, I don't want you to go down this path, but I actually want you to go into ministry. And from that moment, as a 16-year-old boy, my life was changed. And, and I had this, this calling ingrained into my heart that I knew I wanted to be a lead pastor. That's what God stamped into my heart. And I, was, I knew the destination. But the problem was, is I wasn't ready. There was a gap in my life where God had to, to shape me and to mold me into the leader he needed me to be. And so for the first five years of ministry, I was a, a youth pastor. And I loved it. I loved hanging out with kids and seeing God dramatically work in teenagers' lives. But after five years, I was like, okay, God, I'm ready. And God's like, no, you're not. And my pride had gotten so big, I became so arrogant that I, not only did I think I was ready, I thought I could do it better than the guy at our church who, was doing, who had been doing it for 30 years. 
And God reminded me, like, no, no, Drew, there's a gap there. And I think for many of us, we want the calling of God. But we're not willing to, to go through the process. And can I speak to the younger generation just for a second? And, and I'll let you determine if you kind of fit in that category or not. But most of us, as younger people, even, even as older people, we put the priority on the dream or the destination. Like, we want to get here. We know where we want to be. But I actually think God wants us to put the priority on the process because the process actually makes us into who we need to be to get to the destination. And so for many of you young people, God's going to grind it out of you first. He's got to work you through a process where he makes you and molds you. Put the priority there because I promise if God does something in you, he'll do incredible things through you. But if you miss out on the process, you might miss out on the destination. Because so many of us, we want God to work through us, but we resist God's work in us. We do. Why? Because it's painful. No one likes to be chiseled at. No one likes for God to, to show us what we need to work on. I'm sure the 40 years of, of watching sheep wasn't exciting for Moses, but it's exactly what he needed. And after 40 years of God taking Moses through a process, he closed that gap. And then in verse 7, he comes and he gives him his calling. Verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Moses, you tried this before without me, but now I'm giving you the green light. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God ultimately says to his leader, you're ready. You've been prepared, you've been molded, you've been made. Now I need you to go and lead. And you can imagine Moses' response. <laughs> Hold on a second, God. Like, hey, I've been there and I've done that. And it didn't go so well. Like, thanks, God, but no thanks. We, we've been down this road before, God. Remember, I, I tried to deliver the nation of Israel out of, out of bondage. They wouldn't follow me. Pharaoh tried to kill me. Like, I've messed things up pretty good enough, God. You, you probably need somebody else. God, I'm just a shepherd. And I actually kind of like the quiet life in the fields with my sheep. Go find somebody else. I mean, look what Moses says. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, I'm a lowly shepherd. And God said, I will be with you. These might be the best words you could ever hear from God. It's like, hey, no matter where you go, guess what? I, I'm, I'm going to be with you. This was the difference. Remember, Moses tried on his own, and, and God says, hold on a second. Moses, the difference will be, you know, that first time you went on your own, guess what? The difference will be, I'm going to go with you this time. And I promise you, you'll notice the difference when I'm with you. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. That when you, you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Again, Moses' question makes sense. Like, hey, God, uh, 
I tried this once, they didn't follow me. What's going to be the difference here again? Like, what should I tell them when, when, when I say, you sent me? And, and God says, hey, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I love this, this exchange with, with God and Moses. Because Moses is pushing back on the calling earlier in his life that he was clear on. But now that God is actually calling him to do it, he's like, hold on, wait a second. And ultimately this exchange, here's what happens. Moses says, hey, God, I've tried that. And God looks at Moses and says, don't worry, because I am. I've tried. I've tried, God, but don't worry. I've got this because I'm going to be with you, Moses. I'm sending you this time, and it's going to be the difference. And as we pause Moses' life right here, I think there are four major reminders that we, we all need in our present day circumstances. Four major reminders that as we go through life and as we follow Jesus, we need to be reminding ourselves over and over again. The first one is this, who am I is the right question. Moses' response the second time to God was the response God was waiting from his leader. You see, remember the first time Moses almost believed that God was lucky to have a guy like him. Right? I, I don't worry, God. I'll take care of this whole oppression thing. Just be thankful you got me on your team. He was full of pride and arrogance, thinking he could tackle the, the oppression of his people on his own, void from God. But the second time rolls around, and God comes to him, and Moses is like, God, I'm a nobody. Why would you want to use me? You see the difference? Pride versus humility. And I think it's the very thing that God wanted. I mean, Moses says to God in, in, in verse 11, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Can I tell you something today? Who you are is irrelevant when God is on your side. I'm gonna say that again because I want it to sink in. Who you are, is absolutely means nothing when God goes before you and behind you and all around you. So let's start in our life putting more stake in who God is rather than who we think we are. Because who am I is the right question. I'm a nobody, but yet as a nobody, God uses us because we're his instruments. You and I, the second reminder we need is we're, we're just instruments. We're vessels. We're tools that God uses throughout his life. He loves and cherishes us, and he uses us as his ambassador, as his instrument, as his tool or his vessel to bring hope to the world. And this is something that, that I constantly need to be reminded of. Because in, in, in my line of work, I, I'm a lead pastor. I teach God's word on a regular basis, and, and that's not a job I, I take lightly at all. In fact, I want you to know, I'm not up here just winging it, hoping it sounds good. This is months of preparation and prayer and, 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 and me seeking God. And man, what, what can be so frustrating, if I'm being real and frankly, what can be so frustrating is to pour your heart and soul as a, a communicator, a preacher, into a message and realize that it might change absolutely nobody. And what I have to be reminded of is, <laughs> that's not my job anyway. Because I'm just an instrument. I'm just a tool. I'm just a vessel. And the reality is, as much as maybe I want to change our church or change your life, I can't do it. That's only the work of God. And maybe you can relate to that because maybe you've been living pi squared. If you know what pi squared is, it's our outreach strategy. We pray for people, we invest in people, and we invite people to Jesus. And maybe you've been living that way, but You've been investing in your neighborhood or inviting your, your, your coworker or, or wanting someone to experience the gospel to no avail. 
You've been putting your time and energy and and nothing is changing and it can be frustrating. But here's the reality is you and I are not capable of changing people. It's only the Spirit's work that we can't do. Why? Because we're instruments. And my dad used to, to tell me to come back to this verse on a regular basis when pride seeps in because pride so easily seeps in our hearts that where we think we're better than what we really are. And in John chapter 15, this is what Jesus reminds us all of. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we know a branch that falls off from the vine is dead. That's why Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, when I read this verse, it makes me me think of this time of year, October. It's it's New York apple season. And New York apples are the best. Can I just, can I get an amen? amen? Someone brought me a huge box last night of New York apples. They were so good. And here's what I know about an apple tree, because I have some planted in my yard. When a branch falls, it's not going to produce any fruit because it's disconnected from the vine or from the roots. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you got to remain in me because I'm the vine. And if you don't remain in me, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Moses, early on in his life, he learned this the hard way where he tried to do the the delivery process of the nation of Israel on his own. And guess what? It failed because he was disconnected from the vine. And so many times we have to learn this lesson that we're just instruments. We're not capable of what God can do. But God works in us and through us. The third reminder is the most encouraging reminder. It's if you fail, it doesn't mean God's done with you. This is my favorite thing about this part of Moses' story. Is here Moses acts on his own behalf, he fails miserably for God, and he becomes a murderer. And you would think of all the people in our culture today, and in all the people in Moses' culture, the people God would choose not to use would be murderers, right? It would have been easy for God to abandon Moses, let Moses go, but here's the reality, is God doesn't give up on Moses. In fact, he had to work in Moses, but He used Moses in amazing and miraculous ways. And maybe you're here today, you're watching online and you showed up to one of our campuses and you just believe, can God really use me? The reason why you say that is you look at your past full of sin and mistakes and poor choices and you see all that pile up and you're like, there is no way God could use a person like me. But then you look at Moses and then you look at the entire Bible. You realize God has a resume Throughout the Bible, every, every page of the Bible, we see God using messed up, jacked up people to fulfill his will. And maybe today you need to realize that maybe you've actually given up on yourself when God hasn't given up on you. Can I tell you, we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of 15th chances and 20th chances. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what sin you've been involved in. If you're willing to allow God to shape you and to mold you and to work in you, I promise you, God, no matter who you are, can work through you because he doesn't give up on you. You might have given up on yourself, but let me tell you and let me promise you and let me guarantee you, God has not given up on you. Just because you have failed before doesn't mean you have to fail again. The difference is, why don't you allow God to go with you this time? To work through you instead of you trying to do it on your own. Fourth and final reminder is really a summation of of this entire message. It's a reminder that we can't do it on our own. 
This might be one of the greatest struggles that we face in life is to think that I can go through this life and navigate it in my own power, in my own wisdom, and in my own strength. I think if COVID maybe has taught us anything or the season of 2020 has taught us anything, it's that it's so unpredictable that we desperately need someone bigger than ourselves. That we need a God who, who knows the end from the beginning that can navigate through the storms and the roller coasters of life. And look what 2 Corinthians says. It says this in verse Chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, I think many of us, we try to live life on our own. And here's how it fleshes out. I think it fleshes out in, in two groups of people. The first is probably a decent amount of you, maybe the vast majority of your followers of Christ, your Christians. You've surrendered to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's leading your life. But I think for, for even as Christians, we live life in our own strength. There are times where we feel like, man, I, can, I, I got this, God. And maybe a great indicator or a barometer of if you're doing that is your prayer life. I wonder where your prayer life is right now. Right? Because what we do is we, we make decisions all the time in life. We, we, we go to work or we take care of our kids or there's so many things in life that we have to decide on, choose, lead. And I wonder how many of those decisions, before we ever even consider what we would do, we fall on our knees and say, God, what would you do? God, what would you have to say in this matter? When I, when I studied, studied Daniel, Daniel in the Bible, he, three times a day, Three times a day, no matter if there's a law that said you couldn't do it, three times a day, Daniel got away in a closet and he sought after God. And I wonder if that's you and I wonder if that's me. That no matter what choice we have to make in life, no matter what is going on in life, that, that is just a vital piece of who we are, that we are a people who pray. Man, what does your prayer life look like as a follower of Christ? Would your prayer life say that you depend on you or God more? And my challenge for those of us who follow Jesus, that today we'd, we'd be willing to look really hard at our prayer life and say, God, help me to get to where I need to be. I don't want to do it on my own. But then there are some of you today who you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're checking out church because you're curious. You've heard of this Jesus that everybody loves. You might wonder why we, we stand and we sing and we raise our hands and we belt it out loud because he's that good of a God. And maybe he's drawing himself to you. He's been moving in your heart. And yeah, I would suggest maybe you've been living life on your own because you think that your morality, your goodness will, will be good enough to cover the penalty that sin has. That you think if you just look religious or act religious, God will accept you into his family. And can I just tell you, you can't be your own deliverer. You can't deliver yourself from the bondage and the oppression that sin brings. But it's only through the grace and the bloodshed of Jesus Christ that covers your sin and through his resurrection that gives you the victory. And maybe today you stop trying to, to figure it out on your own and you... Surrender to a God who's already got it figured out for you, who took your place. 
So I, I don't know where you, you find yourself in those two categories. But I want to give you a moment through prayer to just talk with God and to get back on track, to not do it on your own. And so if you just pray with me real quick. You know, maybe you are that person today who maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting, saying, you have depended on yourself. You've gone through life. You've ran your business. You've raised your kids on your own, in your own strength, in your own wisdom. And maybe today is a reminder for you that you desperately need God. And maybe your prayer life needs to change. Or maybe you're here today and you feel God is calling you to something, but he's, he's telling you you're not ready yet. And maybe for a season you need to stop trying to let God work through you, but let God work in you to prepare you, to mold you, to chisel away the things he has to do in your life to, to get you ready. Or maybe you're here today and God just wants to know you and have a relationship with you. And maybe in just your own words, you, you tell God, I'm, God, I'm a sinner. And my sin has, has separated me from you. And my good or my morality or my religion will never cover the penalty of sin. And so today I, I'm stepping into a relationship with you, God. I know I have to believe that you, you died for me and, your, and your, your blood covers my sin and your resurrection gives me victory. And so today I'm believing in it for the first time. I want to walk with you, God. I want to know you. I want to live for you. Help me to do that. I'm turning from my sin and my past, and I'm walking with you today moving forward. You can't do life on your own. And may we be the church, the people who get back to being fully, completely dependent on God. God, thank you that you don't abandon us. Even though we run from you, God, you, you never give up on us. So God, may our prayer lives explode today and tomorrow and the next week. God, may we be willing to walk through the process of you shaping us and molding us to get us ready for what you have for us. Or God, I pray for that person who crossed that line of faith today, that you would surround them with love, that they would let people know so we can celebrate with them. In Jesus' name, amen.